Well, good morning, Hillside Campus. My name is Alex Goff, and I'm actually the campus pastor over at our Poplar campus. It is great to worship with you all this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open up to 1 Timothy 3. That's where we're going to be today. If you have your own copies of the scriptures, you can turn to 1 Timothy 3. But if you don't have a Bible with you today, that's all right. You can follow along with the words right up here on the screen. 1 Timothy 3 is where we are going to be today. Um, I'd like to start this morning by telling you a story The year was 2017, and an eight-year-old boy from Palestine, Ohio, lay in his bed hungry. But specifically, this eight-year-old boy was hungry for a McDonald's cheeseburger. I can't blame the kid. Everybody gets late-night cravings, but there was a problem. Here was the problem. It was late at night, and his parents were asleep, and he knew that if he were to go into the room, wake them up, and say, can we go to McDonald's and get a cheeseburger, what are his parents going to say? No, go back to bed. That's right. So this eight-year-old boy got creative. He opened up YouTube, and he began watching videos on how to drive a car. After some time of study on YouTube, he found his daddy's car keys. He hopped in, and he started the car. Now, sitting in the car, this eight-year-old boy had a realization. It's not fair that I am going and experiencing the greatness of a McDonald's cheeseburger all by myself. No, I need to involve my four-year-old sister. So, creeping into her room, he woke her up, dragged her into the backseat, and they took off towards McDonald's. The eight-year-old boy, this is the craziest part of the story, they actually managed to get all the way to McDonald's before the staff called the police. (laughs) It's a true story. It's a funny story. And for all the parents in the room, it's a terrifying story. I mean, imagine your child at eight years old driving a 3,000-pound vehicle on a major highway with a four-year-old in the back seat. It's terrifying. That child could have gotten really hurt. This is going to sound like a silly question that I'm about to ask you all, but I promise it is important for our sermon today. Here's the question I want to ask you. Why don't we let children drive cars? Why don't we let children drive cars? I mean, you can probably come up with a whole host of reasons. Their brains aren't developed enough. They're not tall enough to reach the pedals and see over the windshield. The airbags are too strong for their little necks. When I was thinking about this question of why don't we let children drive cars, this is where my brain went. They lack the maturity to handle the responsibility. They lack the maturity to handle the responsibility. I want to talk about maturity for a second. Maturity. Our society is structured in a way that the older you get, the more opportunities are unlocked, the more responsibilities you have. In Illinois, when you're 15, you can get your permit. When you're 16 years old, you can get your, driver, or you can get, uh, your driver's license and a fishing license. At 17, you can see an R-rated movie. You can enlist in the army. You can um, vote. At 21, you can drink, smoke, rent a car. And at 35, church, what can you do? Run for president. I heard it. These restrictions are important. The reason our society has restrictions for these things is because we want to make sure that when it comes to these opportunities and responsibilities, that there is a maturity for them. Toddlers should not be running for, for, for president. 
Like, can you imagine in the middle of a negotiation with a major world leader, our commander-in-chief leaves to go eat goldfish and watch Bluey? Like, that would be a disaster. Can you imagine a four-year-old buying cigarettes? Would you even give your four-year-old a lighter? The reason we have these restrictions is because we believe that hopefully, as a person ages, they also mature, and as they mature, they can handle bigger responsibilities. Here's why we're talking about this. Today, we're going to be talking about two responsibilities within the church, two responsibilities that are given here at GEBC. Today, we're going to be talking about the role of the overseer and the role of the deacon within the church. And these words may seem foreign to you. Uh, Maybe you've never heard of these words before, or maybe you served at a church before or went to a church that used these words. Here's what we mean by overseer and deacon. The Greek word for overseer is translated as bishop or pastor or elder. And so when talking about overseers today, I want us to think of the elders at GEBC. I'm going to be using those two interchangeably, overseer, elder at GEBC. That word deacon simply means servant. So um, what I want you to think about when we talk about deacons is anybody leading a ministry within the church. So today we're going to be talking about elders and ministry leaders and specifically some of the restrictions around those roles. Pause for a second. I'm looking out at all of you, and I can tell that some of you are already starting to check out. You may be thinking, well, I'm not an elder. I don't plan on being a ministry leader. This sermon is not for me. I'm going to go ahead and check the score of the Cubs game last night. Uh, They won, by the way. Uh, If that is you today and you're starting to check out, pause. This sermon is absolutely for you. It is for everyone today, and here is why. In order to run for president, there needs to be maturity. In order to drive a car, there needs to be maturity. And in order to hold the role of elder or ministry leader within a church, there has to be spiritual maturity. The leaders at GEBC need to be spiritually mature, and that should be important for you. Would you board a plane with a pilot that had never flown before? Would you board a plane with a pilot who had never stepped foot in a cockpit? You are here today because you are either a part of this church or you are interested in becoming a part of this church, essentially getting on the plane And it should be important to you that the pilots of this plane are qualified to hold that position. The spiritual maturity of our leaders should be important to us. It was important to Paul. Let's talk about the context of this book for a second. If we remember back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, we were talking about how there were false teachers within the church that were in positions of leadership. And these false teachers were actively hurting this church in Ephesus. They were not qualified to fly the plane at all. They weren't spiritually mature because they were believing and spreading falsehood. They weren't following the truths of Scripture. And I I think that truth is a good way of thinking about spiritual maturity this morning. We get a really good definition of spiritual maturity if we jump ahead a little bit to 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 15. Paul's describing the church, and he writes this, Although I hope to come to you soon... I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. Read the yellow words with me. The pillar and foundation of the truth. Look at that last statement. The pillar and foundation of truth. How does Paul describe the church here? 
the pillar and foundation of truth. Basically, truth is the foundation. And if truth isn't there, like we see with this church in Ephesus, the church starts to fall apart. Paul is saying that truth should define the bride of Christ. The church is a group of people that gather together to proclaim the truth about Jesus. And I think truth gives us an answer for how we can grow in spiritual maturity. When we surrender to the truth of God's word, we grow in spiritual maturity. When we surrender to the truth of God's word, we grow in spiritual maturity. When you wake up every day to study God's word, truth, you're gonna grow in your faith. When you surrender your life to the truths of scripture, even the verses you don't like, you experience spiritual maturity. When you let the Bible reveal your sin and then you repent from that sin and run to truth, you mature as a believer. When going through a hard time, instead of going to a substance to heal your pain, opening up the Bible and letting its truth heal your pain, you will mature. And guys, what we literally just did when we sing loud on a Sunday morning declaring truth, we grow in our relationship with God. Rightly handling the word of truth is how we grow in our faith. And so when talking about overseers and deacons, Paul is going to be saying throughout chapter 3, these are the people in your church that need to be the most spiritually mature. The pilots need to be the ones that are rightly handling the word of truth. The ones that are living by and surrendering to truth. The elders and ministry leaders need to know the truth and be surrendered to it. They need to be some of the most spiritually mature because this is a huge responsibility. And so today, if you are thinking that because you're not an elder or ministry leader, this isn't for you, I want you to think of it like this. I am a nerd, like a big old nerd. I'm just confessing that to you all this morning. And and one of my favorite subjects that I love to nerd out on is Lord of the Rings. Do I have any Lord of the Rings fans in here today? Okay, you are my people. We're going to hang out after this. Um, I love Lord of the Rings. This past year, I've been wanting to run more, but I often struggle with the motivation to get up and run. That was until I found an app. And the app is called The Conqueror, and the app gives you one goal. Run from the Shire to Mordor. 1,779 miles. So in this app, what you'll do is you'll run, you'll log the distance in the app, and it'll place you somewhere on the map. It'll tell you, I know, guys, I'm a nerd. I can hear you groaning. Um, I, but it's so cool, and it shows you how far you've gotten. And, and here's what I really like about it. There are certain checkpoints along the journey where you earn real, beautifully made medals. I've got some pictures of them. So you get to Bree, and you get a medal. You get to Rivendell, you get a medal. You get to the Mines of Moria, you get a medal. And this app does something that is really smart. It invites you into a community of other runners that are all running along the same path. Now, we all might be at different stages. We all might have different medals, but we are all on the same path. And we're all in this group together, and these other runners can post where they are, what they're doing, along with pictures of their medals, and you walk away from this group feeling really encouraged because you see people that are farther along in the journey, and you learn from them. You can comment on their posts and say, okay, what are you doing that's working? What are you doing to to pass the time while you're running? When you wake up and you have no motivation at all to run, what do you do to get yourself out of bed? How do you motivate yourself when you're tired? You see their medals, you see their distance, and it makes you want to learn from them. You see how excited they are to run, and it makes you more excited to run. When talking about the role of elder and ministry leader, I want us to think of it in the same way. 
as a church, we are all on the same running journey towards Christ. We are all on the same path that the overseers and deacons are on. So the qualifications that we're going to be learning about today apply to all of us. We are all trying to take steps in spiritual maturity, and we can learn from the ones in the church that are further along. Today, we're going to be talking about elders and ministry leaders, people in our congregation that are far along on the journey. Today, church, let's strive to get where they are. Let's learn from them. Let's learn how the elders and ministry leaders within the church are running and then ask ourselves, okay, how can we replicate that in our own life? That's why Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1, here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. He's saying this is a noble thing. We should all be striving towards this spiritual maturity. We should be looking at those within our congregation that are mature in their faith and ask, okay, how can I run like them? So for the rest of this message, we're going to be talking about the qualifications for these two roles. And wherever you are in your journey towards Christ, here's what I want every single person in the room to do today. I'm giving you all homework. Here's your homework this morning. We're going to be going through this list of qualifications. Find one area you can grow in. Just one. I just want you to find one. Listen for the Spirit's prompting as we go through these qualifications. Listen for God to say in your heart, yeah, you can grow in this area. We're going to be reading through these truth statements, and I want you to find the one truth statement that you can implement into your walk with Christ this week, because I promise if you do, you will grow in spiritual maturity. So what comes next is a list of qualifications for overseers and deacons, and what I've done this morning is I've broken these qualifications down into three categories. These are categories that I came up with on my own as a way of summarizing the content, so hold these categories loosely, but I think generally there are three types of qualifications here. Let's start with the first one. Qualifications for how we interact with others outside of our home. How we interact with the people around us. Did you know you can actually tell a person's spiritual maturity by how they interact with others? This is what Paul is hitting on in the first set of qualifications. The elders and ministry leaders in the church need to treat others well. The way that they fellowship with others outside the home needs to show evidence of spiritual maturity. So the first qualification that we'll talk about today. For elders, he says that they need to not be violent or quarrelsome, but gentle and temperate. It's this idea of stable emotion. Now, Paul isn't saying here that the elders need to be passive or pushovers. What he's saying is that the elders need to not be constantly looking to stir up a fight. They need to be in control of their emotions when fellowshipping with others. Can you grow in this area? For me, this is the area that I circled this week. Oftentimes, I can lose my temper, but spiritual maturity says that we need to live gentle and temperate. There are more qualifications, though. For both elders and ministry leaders, he says that they need to be respectable. How do they handle and present themselves publicly? Basically, are the leaders carrying themselves in such a way that's not going to cause embarrassment for someone watching? I could have preached today in short, shirt, short shorts, but nobody would have liked that. And I think you all would have lost a lot of respect for in me. That's what it means to be respectable, is that you're handling and presenting yourself in a respectable manner. And this transitions into our next call. By the way, I'm sorry for putting that image in your guys' head. You're like, I didn't want to think about that. Um, <laughs> this, this transitions into our next qualification. Paul says that the elders must have a good reputation with outsiders. How are the elders known in the community? In a similar way, deacons are described as sincere, someone that is genuine and authentic and not fake. 
Both of these qualifications deal with how we are perceived. Our spiritual maturity should overflow into how people view us outside our home. And finally, Paul says that the elders need to be hospitable. That text literally here means loving the stranger and welcoming. Elders must be friendly and warm and personable. That's how they should be known in their fellowship. So looking at the list of qualifications here and thinking about how you treat the people around you, is there an area you can grow? Is there, is there something that you can take away from this morning where you can grow in spiritual maturity? Every single one of us has areas we can grow. Where do you need to focus this morning? I want to talk about that word hospitable for a second. For those of you that have started attending uh, in the last year at GEBC, you may know that GEBC has a multi-site campus in Bartlett. That's where I work. You may not know how that campus came to be. The Poplar campus used to be an independent church, Poplar Creek Church. I was the lead pastor of that congregation, and pretty much the entire time that I was there, pretty much the entire time, we were struggling financially. Because of factors like pastoral turnover and COVID, we were facing a future where we were going to have to close our doors. Every week, we were looking at offering and saying, what's going, what's going to happen? It was in the aftermath of a really rough congregational meeting that I saw a promotional in my Facebook feed. There was a church near Bartlett in Glen Ellen that was looking to hire a campus pastor, and they had a really long name. It was like Glen Ellen Bible Church. Um, And they wanted to go out and plant a brand new campus. I saw this post on my Facebook feed, and immediately I felt God laying an idea on my heart. What if our church was their first site? What if our land and building was where they launched their first campus? So I sent an email to Kelly Brady and John Vanderveld, the lead pastor here and the executive pastor here, about this idea. And after a few lunches, I got the chance to meet the elders at GEBC and the ministry leaders. And as an outsider, here was my first impression of the leadership at GEBC. Hospitable. I was a stranger, and I could tell they loved me. And I want to share some examples of this. Sharing my experience of trying to keep a church afloat for the last two years, the toll it took on me and how hard it was, the leaders of GEBC offered to pay for me to attend counseling. I wasn't on staff. I couldn't afford it on my own. But my family knew that I needed it. And because of this church's hospitality, I could find healing. I hardly knew these people. And yet they loved me enough to pay for counseling. And on top of that, Multiple times they reiterated that even if this adoption doesn't work out, they wanted to partner with our church to help us. You hear stories today of churches in competition and gossiping and bad-mouthing one another. This was totally the opposite. Glen Allen Bible Church was completely hospitable, and their spiritual maturity shined in that moment. We want to help you even if it doesn't work. And we weren't sure if it was going to work, because throughout the adoption process, there was a lot to talk about. One of the reasons why the merge took as long as it did was because of how different our churches were. One of the biggest differences when it came to our elders was that we have female elders. Poplar Creek functioned as an egalitarian church, meaning that we had women in the highest authority. We had women on our elder board. We had women preaching on a Sunday morning. But Glenellen, on the other hand, functions as a complementarian church. They, the, high, the highest authority in the church of eldership and preaching on a Sunday morning here is reserved for spiritually mature men. Kelly talked about that last week. 
Now, why does Glenn Ellen hold a complementarian position? That that elder, overseer position is a role reserved for spiritually mature men. Well, it ties back to 1 Timothy 3. When describing the overseer or elder role, Paul says that the elder has to be faithful to his wife. Elders faithful to their wife. And this gets into why our elders are male here at GEBC. When Paul describes these elders, the text literally says that they need to be one-woman men. One-woman men. And in the book of Titus, Paul says the same thing. One-woman men. Now, when it comes to eldership, look at what Paul doesn't say. When describing elders, he doesn't say biblically faithful to one's spouse. He doesn't say that. He describes the elders as being one-woman men. So when talking about elders, the highest authority in the church, he describes them as male. And this connects back to what Kelly talked about last week. In chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, Paul brings up Adam and Eve. Kelly talked about how Adam being formed first positioned him with a unique responsibility of leadership. God created Adam to lead. Adam was the one that was tasked with naming the animals. Adam was the one that was given the instruction about not eating from the tree. And when Adam and Eve did sin, the text says that God looked for Adam first. Leadership. And so last week, Kelly talked about how men are tasked with the unique responsibility of leadership in the home and in the church. When it comes to the highest authority, which is the elder position, that is a role reserved for spiritually mature men. Now, this does not mean, please don't hear me, don't hear me say this, this does not mean that women can't play a role or that women don't have a place in church. When it comes to deacons or ministry leaders in chapter 3, Paul does include women in his description. Verse 11, which is right in the middle of the deacon section, says, In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. So unlike eldership, where we see it only described as men, the description of ministry leaders, deacons, includes women. In Romans 16, we meet a woman named Phoebe who is described as a deacon. So that is why functionally as a church here at GEBC, we believe that the highest authority of eldership is reserved for spiritually mature men, and the deacon role is reserved for anyone who is spiritually mature. And God's instruction here of elders being the husband of one wife leads us into our second set of qualifications. The first set of qualifications is all about the leader's relationship outside of the home. The second set of qualifications is all about the spiritual maturity of the leader inside their home, family. There needs to be evidence of spiritual maturity within the family of the leader. So Paul's going to list out some qualifications for overseers and deacons that speak into family. For both the elder and deacon, he says that they need to be faithful to their wife. Now, this raises some questions. Do elders and deacons have to be married? Well, what if an elder or deacon experiences a divorce or a remarriage? Are they disqualified from leadership then? A good way of addressing these questions is by going back to spiritual maturity. There has to be spiritual maturity to handle these responsibilities of eldership and deacon. Can you be spiritually mature as a single person, church? Can you be spiritually mature as a single person? Yes, yes you can. Look at Paul. He was single and more spiritually mature than any of us. So as a church, we do not believe that you have to be married in order to lead. But what about divorce or remarriage? As a church, again, we go back to spiritually, spiritual maturity. 
Is there a posture of confession and repentance and reconciliation towards their ex-spouse? If there is, well, then that person would be prayerfully considered for leadership. But what we're looking for is spiritual maturity. And this also applies to parenting. In the second set of qualifications, Paul says this about elders as parents in verses 4 and 5. He says he must manage his own family well. Elders need to manage their own family well and see that their children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? And when talking about deacons, he mentions the same thing. They must manage their children and their household well. Spiritual maturity should overflow into the home. We want to make sure that the elder or ministry leader leads well at home before they try leading a church. So I asked you earlier to look for areas you can grow in. Are there places where you can take steps forward today in spiritual maturity? What about your family? These verses tell me that God cares about how we love and treat our spouse and kids. For all my dads in the room, for all my husbands in the room, are you setting an example? Are you setting an example of what a sold-out faith looks like to your family? For all the wives in the room, for all the mothers in the room, is, is Jesus something you compartmentalize just for Sunday morning and then you forget about the rest of the week? Spiritual maturity should overflow into our homes. Maybe that is an area God is calling you to grow in today. So going back to our adoption as a church, uh, Poplar Creek was functioning as an egalitarian church. And during the adoption conversation, we had one woman serving as an elder along with some other men. And this merge meant that our elder board would have to relinquish authority, hand over the reins. So at Poplar, one of the things that we were committed to was that we were not going to move forward with the adoption unless every single elder was on board. So during that time of consideration, I met multiple times with our female elder because obviously this impacted her in a very unique way. Those were tough conversations. But here's what was so cool. We all ended up on board, including her. And one of the areas that helped move the needle for our elders was how we saw the GEBC elders and how we saw the ministry leaders within this church interact with their family. We came and we visited your services and we saw that the children of staff members were volunteering on a Sunday morning. That says something. We watched elders and their wives pray over families at the care center. We had a joint staff lunch uh, where both of our staff teams combined together and sitting around these round tables, we listened to stories of how these GEBC employees are trying to follow Jesus in their home. And what became important for the Poplar elders was not do they agree with every single position we hold, what became the most important for us was, are they spiritually mature? Can we see evidence of that fact in their families? And after months of getting to know this church, we can confidently say, yeah, we do see that spiritual maturity. As outsiders, we see their faith. And that leads us to our last set of qualifications. The qualifications for spiritual maturity outside the home and inside the home strangers and family, but by far the biggest set of qualifications is all about the leader's faith. We're going to go even deeper. This shouldn't be a surprise to us, but the faith of our elders and ministry leaders needs to be mature. They need to be far along in their personal walk with Christ, and so what we have in our qualifications is a long list of statements that relate to faith, 
And again, as I go through these, listen for the Spirit's prompting on where you can grow. Related to faith, Paul says that the elders need to be above reproach. Basically, someone who is above blame. Now, Paul isn't saying here that the elders need to be perfect, but what he's saying is, are there things that the elder can be accused of? Similarly, Paul says that the ministry leaders need to first be tested to see if there's anything against them. What Paul is saying here is that there shouldn't be any skeletons in the closet. You know how when somebody runs for political office and then all of their baggage comes out into the light? What, what Paul is saying here is that there shouldn't be any baggage. Any sin that a leader might have needs to be brought to the light and dealt with before they take on a leadership position. He continues by saying that elders need to have self-control. This self-control applies to what an elder says yes to and what an elder says no to. They need to have the self-control to say yes to good, healthy spiritual disciplines like prayer and daily Bible reading. But they also need to have the self-control to say no to ungodly urges. And that relates to our next qualification. Elders need to not be given to drunkenness. Our elders need to have the self-control to say no to getting drunk. And he also says that the ministry leaders, the deacons, must not indulge in much wine. But as I was thinking about this qualification, I think it's much bigger than just getting drunk. Our leaders need to have the self-control to say no to getting buzzed to help coping with the stress. I think it's even bigger than that. I think this applies to addiction. In their faith walk, our leaders need to be free from addiction. And spiritual maturity means that every single person in this room needs to be free from addiction. In a similar vein, elders need to be free from the love of money. He says that deacons need to not pursue dishonest gain. Again, going back to money, this is all about idolatry, which can infect a faith. If God says give, and the leaders within our church hold tighter to their wallets, that's a problem. It can be easy to make an idol out of money and climbing the corporate ladder and trying to make as much money as possible, but surrendering to the truth of God's word means that we run from that. Another qualification, this is an interesting one regarding faith. Paul says that the elders must be able to teach. Now, this is not saying that uh, elders have to have this gift of preaching, although it's great if they do. What he's saying here is that elders uh, need to be able to open up God's word and offer instruction. That can be a one-to-one setting, a one-to-a-few, or one-to-many. But we ask our leaders, can you teach someone the truths of Scripture? The elders should be able to say yes. You don't have to have a graduate degree or be a brilliant theologian. You just have to be able to open up God's word and teach it to someone else, which applies to our last faith qualification of the day. Paul says that the elders or overseers must not be recent converts. For ministry leaders or deacons, he says that they must keep hold of the deep truths of faith. This is all about the faith journey. They need to be further along on the run, holding tightly to the truth, spiritually maturing. So again, church, looking at this list, is there an area you can grow in? An area where you are weak that you can take steps of maturity? A place where you can take steps forward? I want to share one last story of the adoption. One of the resources that GEBC offered to us through all the conversations was the Elder Handbook. The Elder Handbook, and it, basically all it was, it, it describes the theological positions of the church as well as like procedural information, and that was all great, but by far the most valuable section for me was the end of the handbook. Some of you that are elders know what I'm talking about. Um, in the back of this document, it's a compilation of letters. Um, elders serve at GEBC, and then they transition off. And when an elder transitions, they are asked to write a letter of what God had been teaching them through the experience of leadership. 
So what I, what I read was story after story going way back in this church's history to see what God was doing in the lives of these leaders. And reading these letters, their faith was so clearly displayed as they talked about what the Lord had been doing. It became so clear to me that we were joining a church that was led by people far along on the journey. People that could teach me well how to run. People that knew the truth and were surrendered to the truth. And as of February 2023, we officially joined you all as your first campus, which is awesome. Yeah, it's super cool. Mm -hmm. I was praying over this message, and as I, I was asking God, God, what do you want me to do with a message like this? And the one word that I felt like he was pressing into my heart was the word encouragement. Encourage this campus. And so that's how I want to close. I want to close with encouragement. First, let me encourage the overseers and deacons. If you are an elder in this room currently, can you go ahead and stand on up for me? Elders, go ahead and stand on up. Calling you out. Yeah, stand on up. Great. If you are a part-time or full-time staff member at GEB, no, stay, stay standing. Oh, you're not done. You're not done. Uh, if you are a part-time or full-time staff member at GEBC, can you go ahead and stand up for me? Great. Um, if you are a uh, children or youth ministry leader, if you lead downstairs in children's ministry or youth ministry, would you go ahead and stand on up for me? If you are a leader of a small group, would you go ahead and stand on up for me? A leader of a small group. Go ahead and stand. And uh, if you are a leader up on the platform for worship, would you go ahead and stand on up? Okay. Uh, table host at men's frat and women's Bible study. If you're a table host for men's uh, frat or women's ministry, go ahead and stand on up. If I forgot you and you are a ministry leader, go ahead and stand on up. <laughs> Stay standing, guys. I want, first want to talk to all of you. This job is hard. I know. I've been there. And weeks can go by where you feel like you're not seeing any fruit and you're having to deal with complaints and critiques and you're wondering if you're even making an impact. If you are there today, elders and ministry leaders, let the truth of God's word refresh your soul. 1 Timothy 3.13, Paul writes, those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Hear me clearly, you are serving well. You have an excellent standing before God. He is proud of you. He has good plans for you. And trust me, one day you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, and all of those rough days will melt away. You are serving well. Be encouraged. Can we show them a round of applause? <laughs> Some of you hated that, and I know. I want to shift focus now and encourage the church. Here's the reality, church. Church hurt is a real thing. Church hurt is a real thing, and maybe that's your story. Some of you have gone to churches with leaders that weren't spiritually mature, that abused their power, that twisted scripture, and wounded you in the process. If that is your story, I am, I'm sorry for that. It should not have happened. It makes me mad, but trust me, it makes God angrier. But here's the good news. GEBC is not that place. I'm not standing here today saying they're perfect. We're past the honeymoon stage of this adoption. I know this church isn't perfect. But I'm telling you, I have filled the role of outsider and insider. This church is not an eight-year-old driving a car. 
This church is not being led by pilots who have never stepped foot in the cockpit. No, there is spiritual maturity here. There are people here that are handling the responsibility of leadership well. This is a place where you can find healing. This is a place where you can learn from the leaders. So be encouraged by that. This is a church where we are all trying to grow in Christ-likeness. And so today, wherever you are on that spectrum, let's all take one step forward. Let's all grow loving God and loving others as a pillar and foundation of truth. Amen, church? Let me pray. God, I'm so thankful to be a part of this place. You heard my prayers. I remember nights, Lord, where I was praying, God, just, I just, I would love more leaders to learn from, spiritually mature people that I could do ministry with, and you have provided an amazing way. I think it's easy, Lord, sometimes to take for granted just the churches that we attend, and I pray today that we all would see that uh, this is a really neat place that you've placed us all in. And this calling to grow, I pray that we all would take that seriously, that wherever anybody is in their journey, that every single one of us would take one step forward. We love you so much, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.